0: Thank you, Claire. (coughs) Of course, Christmas is coming. I don't know whether you've started to think about uh, the Christmas presents that you're going to buy for everybody. I don't know whether you heard the story of the British ambassador in the United Nations who was rung up one day and asked what he would like for Christmas, and he gave an answer. And the next day, while he was shaving, he was listening to the radio, and the radio presenter said, we did a survey of, of various people to see what they would like for Christmas. And he said, I'm here to tell you that the American ambassador asked for world peace. The French ambassador asked for more love in the world. The German ambassador asked for debt relief for everybody. And the British ambassador said, oh, that's very kind. I'd like a a box of crystallized fruits, please. (laughs) So I don't know whether they're on your agenda. But today is the end of our nine-long-week study on one of the many letters written by Paul to the various churches he established around the Mediterranean. This one, of course, is the letter to the church in Philippi. And the overall theme of the series has been joy, which, as I said when I last spoke five weeks ago, is an interesting word when you consider what hardship Paul and the early church were going through at the time. In a life dedicated to serving Jesus, Paul had to face up to poverty, pain, beatings and imprisonment. And indeed, it was from a prison in Rome waiting the trial that he wrote this letter. Yet rather than moaning, the letter includes this word joy 16 times. And today, as we pull it all together, we're going to look at another word that Paul uses, contentment, the secret of contentment. Now, before we do that, I just want you to have a chat with your neighbor for a, a minute or two. What do you think the purpose of our lives is? What is the purpose of our lives? Just turn to one another, have a little conversation, and see what you come up with. We've got about two minutes. What do you think? Okay. Okay, we're going to come back to that word a bit later on uh, this morning. Now, Paul is clearly seized by this word joy. And as we've seen over the last few weeks, he talks of rejoicing in prayer and in the fruit of his own labours, rejoicing in the knowledge of the preaching of the gospel, and then later uh, that even if it, uh, gospel and the suffering that he is about to face, even if that means death, he exhorts his readers to rejoice in the Lord. And that uh, wonderful verse that we've used a lot in this series, to rejoice in the Lord always, in chapter four, earlier in chapter four, because he wants to find, he wants them to find joy in believing in fellowship and joy, even in trial and suffering. His secret in finding such joy was to focus all of his attention and his energy on knowing Christ and on obeying him, on putting the interest of Jesus above his own. Christ provided a purpose in Paul's life, and it was through living out that purpose that he found such deep joy. As we've discovered, it can be best summed up perhaps by having this quiet, confident assurance of God's love and work in our lives. Now in this final passage that we're about to hear read to us, as Richard comes to read to us, he doesn't actually mention the word joy. Rather, he reiterates his grateful thanks for the Philippians, for their concern and for their gifts that they've sent to him. He praises their generosity, which stands in stark contrast to other less generous churches. He prays that God will meet all of their needs according, as he says, to the Lord's glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And he finishes by sending final greetings. But as Richard reads to us, and it will be on the screen as well, notice in particular a couple of verses early on. Verses that we're going to concentrate on today. I have learned to be content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him Who gives me strength? Richard, come and share these verses with us from
1: Philippians chapter (coughs) 4. The reading is from, as Tim says, Philippians chapter 4, reading from verse 10, and can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1181. Paul gives thanks for their gifts. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus To our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. And Paul's final greetings. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks
0: be to God. Thank you, Richard. I've learned to be content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Contentment, I think, is an interesting word. The Greek word literally means self-sufficient in the sense of being detached from, independent of outward circumstances to have resources within ourselves that can meet and overcome any situation we find ourselves in. Now, I think many people, most people perhaps, seem to believe that only when our outward circumstances, our education, our career, our finances, our money, our family, are secure, then they will find contentment. But the truth is that it doesn't work out quite like that. Even if those things are sorted for some of the time, life has a habit of throwing too many fastballs our way. Careers stall or become tedious or too demanding. Husbands or wives begin to lose their appeal or someone else becomes more appealing. We discover that we can't have children or we can't stop having children or those that we do have become difficult or rebellious. Our dream home becomes financially impossible or we find ourselves being moved around every couple of years living in a succession of houses that we don't like much and we're never able to settle in. We lose touch with friends and they become distant. The bottom line is that all too often marriages are tough, children, difficult, jobs, depressing, bosses, overly demanding. And as one problem recedes, another emerges. Poor health overtakes us. As the body that we had in our youth deteriorates and refuses to be transformed, no matter how much we lavish upon it. We get into debt or are made redundant, expected pensions fail to materialise, and the dream of an early retirement fades away. Parents age and need to be cared for, or the death of a dearly loved relative or friend overwhelms us, sometimes literally overnight. The result is that many of us can go around pretending that actually everything's fine. Others try to find a way of escaping from it all. A couple of weeks ago, we had an offer come through our door, advertising three for two on the adult colouring books. I don't know if any of you are doing adult colouring books. They seem to become a bit of a craze. The options were, and I quote, to colour yourself to calmness, to mindfulness, to happiness and or to inner peace. All your problems solved for £9.99 or £19.88 for three. Now, colouring in a book may do all sorts of things, but I for one doubt that it leads to inner peace, to real contentment. The harsh truth is that the only way to find contentment, I think, is to face up to the realities of life, to recognise that all too often life is tough. Some of you may remember that wonderful film, Shadowlands, about the life of C.S. Lewis, the Oxford professor who wrote, amongst other things, the Narnia series. C.S. Lewis married an American lady, whose name, interestingly, in the context of this series, was called Joy. They were very happy together, but she gets cancer, and the film attempts to record their journey together as they face up to the reality of the resultant pain and suffering. There's one scene that I've remembered since the day I first saw the film, probably 30 years ago. Out walking together in the countryside around Oxford, they take shelter from the rain in a barn. And as he's leaning on the doorpost, looking out at the rain, he suddenly says, You know, I don't want to be somewhere else anymore. I'm not waiting for anything new to happen. Not looking around the next corner or over the next hill. I'm here now. And that's enough. And in many ways, I think those words are a great definition of contentment. And I've often thought of them in that way ever since. But actually, in themselves, they're not enough. Recognizing his love, his desire for the moment not to pass, perhaps for them to stay safe in the barn and never return to the world, joy nonetheless knows that they have to move on and that there will be pain and hurt to come she's going to die that's the reality but in the pain not for her but for him she insists that they can go back into the world and through it all still find contentment that she claims doesn't spoil the happiness now rather she says it makes it real the pain then she says is a part of of the happiness now. That's the deal. And I think she's right. It is. Let's just have a look at the clip that I'm talking about.
1: No, I don't want to be somewhere else anymore. Not waiting for anything new to happen. Not looking around the next corner, no, the next hill. Here now. That's enough. That's your kind of happy, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. It's not going to last, Jack. You shouldn't think about that now. Let's not spoil the time we have together. It doesn't spoil it. It makes it real. Let me just say it before this rain stops and we go back. What is that to say? That I'm going to die. And I want to be with you then, too. The only way I could do that as if I'm able to talk to you about it now. I manage somehow. Don't worry about me. No. I think it can be better than that. I think it can be better than just managing. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that... the pain then is part of the happiness now.
0: The deal. I think it's been well said that there are three things required of us if we are to live contented lives a clear sense of personal identity, a strong sense of purpose, and a deep sense of faith. Knowing that we are loved forms the bedrock of establishing our identity. Knowing that we are loved not because of what we achieve in life or what happens to us, but love simply because of who we are being loved without reservation allows us to operate out of a place of security not constantly having to prove ourselves to anyone else or to ourselves or to God at his baptism in the River Jordan Jesus hears a voice from heaven telling him this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased Knowing he was loved in such a way gives him the identity to live out his purpose, which was to head for the cross. Identity and purpose built on a relationship with his father, his deep faith. And as a result, he was able to surrender to whatever was to come. All too often, when we say we're committed to something, we nonetheless remain in charge. We still hold the reins. Of control, So that if one day we decide that we don't want to be, or we don't feel like being committed to a relationship anymore, then we can just walk away. But as Bishop Michael Bourne once said, you'll only find contentment in life through surrender. Surrendering our lives to Christ, handing over control, as he did to his Father. When Paul speaks of belonging to Jesus, or when he refers to himself as a servant of Christ Jesus, the word he uses means bond slave. Essentially, a man without rights. That's a tough call. But we are called to it as well, to surrender our lives to him, to be willing to go wherever he calls, and to face up to, to learn to accept whatever it is that life is going to throw at us. The gain is, the deal is, we don't do that alone. Let me tell you about a little Canadian boy called Andrew. Adopted at just two by some Christian friends of ours, he was a healthy and very normal baby for the first year or so of his life. Then disaster struck as he fell ill. His kidneys failed a couple of times, his heart stopped for 25 minutes, and he needed a series of liver transplants. He spent most of the rest of his life... In an intensive care unit. Any of you who have had a sick child will know what a roller coaster this sort of experience entails. We followed the whole saga through a series of emails which often read like verses from the book of Psalms. Here are a few direct quotes from one or other of Andrew's parents The weariness is overwhelming some days. I feel like we're not even holding on by a strand. Our understanding is so limited, our pain is so overwhelming, even on good days. So many days I get up and cry and go to bed crying. We sometimes wonder how we will get through the day and whether we will simply be overwhelmed by it all. I sometimes think of it as living in a hurricane. The furniture of our lives goes flying by and the noise is unbearable. I'm tempted to reach out and try to hang on to the things I think I value. And I'm I'm nearly swept away. Then I hear a familiar voice behind me, whispering over the storm. I turn and there is Jesus standing in the eye of the storm, holding my hand from a long way away. We must keep our eyes on him, find our strength in him. He carries us even when it seems we walk alone he is our light in the darkness and as I draw near to him the noise dies away and there is nothing but him his peaceful loving presence all we have to do is stay after a particularly rough week my heart sorrow upon sorrow grief upon grief how much pain how much more Tears are my food, day and night. It just goes on and on. I have nothing left. My only hope is in God. When we can't walk or even stand, he will carry us. He is merciful and kind. He weeps with us. Do I understand his timing? No. But I have to trust him. The words, the promises he has spoken will not return Void. They will come to fruition. God is sovereign and merciful. After a couple of good days, their message read Consider it poor, pure joy when you experience trials. Consider it all joy? How? Not in ourselves. Our Lord is so fruitful. I think of how many times we've felt totally overwhelmed, and yet God has held us up beyond our imagination. I look at pictures of Andrew before his operations. It seems so long ago, it's almost hard to remember him as a vibrant little child, another world. Lord, please carry us and take us to better times. I hang on to the scriptures that says God will bless you many times over the years of suffering. And I am struck again how much we need to depend on God for everything. Our health, our marriage, our son it seems so easy to live in the illusion that we make things happen out of our own accord. It takes enormous courage to hold on to your faith and trust in God day after day in such difficult circumstances. And I suspect there's more than one or two here now living through such circumstances. But the extraordinary thing is that through it all, Andrew's parents seemed to learn contentment, secure in their God, even when their world shrank into a hospital room. That learning was a process. Obviously, it didn't mean that there was no pain or hurt, that they went without fear or had no sense of isolation or sense of separation from God. Even Jesus himself felt that, certainly in Gethsemane and on the cross and probably at other times too like the wilderness experience but that's the deal interwoven in the fears and failures of life in the pain, the conflicts and isolation there is nonetheless faith and love and hope now the film we've watched and that story of Andrew of course is out there somewhere and Sandra's very kindly said that she would come and share what she's been going through over the last uh, few months
2: I have to say that my experience is nothing compared to that which Tim's just described, the parents of that little boy. There's nothing unusual in the story I'm sharing this morning. The sudden death of my mum earlier this year is something that happens to countless families. And I also want to recognize that there are folk here today that are working, walking through far worse and challenging situations than mine but here's my story. Mum was, we thought, the fit and healthy one. She was my dad's carer to all intents and purposes. He has a severe sight impairment and she did everything for him and they did everything together. And when all that was ripped away without warning, uh, my immediate feeling was that my dad's life and consequently mine had been turned upside down. How on earth would he manage? And rather selfishly, would my life ever be the same again? My default as I climb into bed at night, don't know about any of you, is to worry about and plan about as much as possible. It's not really a great recipe for sleep. But that first night as I went to bed just a couple of hours after mum had died, thoughts of how on earth is this going to pan out were uppermost in my mind, along with the gut-wrenching pain of losing her. How on earth is my dad going to manage? And a verse of scripture from this morning's reading, funnily enough, came to mind. My God will supply all my needs, Paul writes. Not necessarily all my wants, but all my needs. And if he will supply all my needs, he will surely supply all my dad's. And to cut a long story short, as anxious thoughts invade, I've tried to follow the discipline of focusing on truth. And this is something that was taught to me by older, wiser Christians along the way. Truth from scripture, truth that God speaks to me as I pray to him and seek him, and just think about him, his faithfulness, his love that never ends, the God that Paul knew The peace that Paul speaks of invaded me that night and has done time and time again since. I can also testify that although I wouldn't have chosen for this to have happened, who would, I've come to a place of contentment and there's a freedom about being in this place. But I do believe that that state of uh, contentment requires some effort on my part so as the anxious thoughts And the fears invade the effort to swing the other way and focus on God's truth. And actually to send those anxious negative thoughts packing in the name of Jesus. And it's a continuous choice to do this because the thoughts and the feelings and the anxieties don't go away. That's life, isn't it? Sometimes I fail, often actually. But it's interesting to note that as I've practiced this discipline of focusing on truth focusing on who God is rather than anxiety over all that's vexing me in life being the default uh, God's contentment more often than not replaces that anxiety
0: that's the deal it's a process we have to work at it but that's the deal Contentment is not about an easy pain or crisis-free life, a life with no hurt or loss. It's found when we acknowledge the reality of those things and then exercise the courage and determination to face up to them and to learn to be content. According to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which I'm sure you all read avidly, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the answer to the opening question. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the long and the short of Him, or short of it. For only in him do we find our true identity and purpose. In this letter, Paul tells us that he has learnt to be content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want... I can, he says, do everything through him who gives me strength. What is more, he says earlier in the letter, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. It's a powerful message within a powerful letter. And as we come to the end of our time studying it, we are, of course, left with a challenge. Are we, like Paul, prepared to choose to serve God and to seek to know Jesus Christ more and more, to learn and find true contentment in him, and through that, discover the joy that Paul has been writing about. I hope that's the case for all of us. If not, I suppose there's still the coloring books. Apparently on offer till Christmas Eve. Amen.
1: Well, Jan's going to...